Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Friday, November 17, 2017. Welcome back to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. i got Matt Norlander here with me. and This is the third of three podcasts this week, which is my way of reminding you that we are doing three podcasts a week now. The days are going to vary based on, on the week and the developments within that week, but we are now doing three every week. That is a, a contractually obligated promise. So please subscribe via iTunes, rate it favorably, write great things about me in the comments. You can handle Norlander's name however you like, but please put respect on my name so that you and I can uh, continue to be uh, podcast uh, friends. Norlander, Missouri got pounded last night, last night being Thursday night at Utah. Final score was 77-59. It's not really the story. The story is uh, Michael Porter Jr., future top five pick, missed his second straight game uh, with a mysterious injury. I guess it's reasonable to say he's only played two minutes uh, so far this season, you wrote a column about it yesterday. Uh, so, Matt Norlander, I ask you, what is going on with MPJ? MPJ has got a leg issue, and we aren't be- we aren't given any more details on this. And it's a bummer to start the season because really, when Bagley got to Duke, that certainly vaulted Duke to number one in the rankings and brought a, a big time um, element of intrigue. Uh, Porter. It was long considered the top player in his class and committed to Missouri back in March after he decommitted from Washington. And so when Porter committed and they got Quanzo in there, this was going to be the big turnaround project, the the team that was going to have uh, a return to national relevance. And we haven't gotten that just yet. And no one really knows what the issue with Porter's leg is. Initially, it was believed to be a hip, but on Monday after... Uh, Missouri's home game against Wagner, uh, Martin informed the press that it was that it was a leg issue, and that's all he could say, and that it was day to day. We don't know any more details. It is bizarre, Parrish, um, because Porter was apparently in Missouri Arena on Monday, but was in the locker room or the training room, like right. he wasn't on the bench, which just indicates that if he wasn't there, but he got to the arena, then he was incapable or uncomfortable or in too much pain sit on the bench that's a totally reasonable conclusion to come to and then if we're to believe that everything should certainly be on the up and up regarding porter's eligibility i mean he played in the season opener before getting injured well he doesn't take the trip to utah so either he had rehab that he actually like absolutely had to attend and that prevented it which might be the case but if it was we haven't been informed of that or it's got to be one or two other options he was in too much pain or too much discomfort to sit on a plane which is understandable if you have an injury that's that's affecting that way or getting around in public might have been just a little too much for where he's at. So hopefully this is just minor, but you can't fault Missouri fans for being a little bit triggered here and having some concern. OK, we finally got this tremendous prospect in arguably the best prospect we've ever had come into our program and we can't even enjoy him for three minutes in our season opener. Hopefully he'll be able to return very soon. The next update we're expecting to get on this is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, um, depending on his reevaluation and what we can get. The next team Missouri plays is Emporia State. That's a D2 opponent on Monday. Obviously, Porter's not even going to bother trying to go in that game. They played Long Beach State on Thanksgiving in the Advocare Invitational down in Orlando. That's the key date to kind of target there. We'll see if we have more information essentially six days from when we're recording this podcast. But it's... It's a it's it's a it's an area for some concern. Let's not overreact here. We still have to find out more information. Hopefully, he'll be good and, and ready to return soon. But obviously, if this is something that's just just a little bit of annoyance to him right now, they're not going to chance putting him out there, hurting him further, and not only damaging their chances for non-conference performance, but the big thing here is that obviously they want to give Porter the best chance possible uh, to be a number one pick in the NBA draft, and you can't have him going out there not at 100% getting hurt again. And, uh, and and obviously bringing being a threat to that. Um, uh, first things first, it stinks for Missouri, for Missouri fans, because they have been looking forward to uh, the Michael Porter era. Let's just call it a one in, a one year era, but the Michael Porter era uh, since the day, literally since the day Conzo was hired at Missouri, because it became clear within minutes, maybe hours, that uh, Michael Porter Senior was going to be on the staff, and Michael Porter Junior and Jonte Porter were coming. Uh, there was some question about whether Jonte would reclassify or not. He ultimately did. But either way, 
um, it was obvious the day that Missouri hired Conzo Martin that Michael Porter Jr. was going to be a freshman in the SEC. And through three games, he's played two minutes. It's a little bit like last year, um, you know, the consensus number one player in the country, or at least a lot of people's number one player in the country, Harry Giles, like wasn't available to start the season and he never got right. So now here we are again. And I know that Bagley was most people's number one prospect in the country. Um, but Michael Porter Jr. was a reasonable alternative to that and a, a possible number one pick. So to not have him available, not great for college basketball, uh, not great for the Pac-12 network, which had him on their air last night, at least could have had him on their air last night, and, and obviously not good for Missouri. But um, you're exactly right. You can't rush him out there anything less than 100% because he's not just a great college basketball player. He's worth tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. That's not a that's not hyperbole. I mean, you're you're talking about a if you th- don't think of him as a person, but just as a thing. He's a thing worth tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. And so you don't do anything to 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 hinder his progression. You don't do anything to risk his health. And so I think Missouri is 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 playing this properly. You know, maybe with a, a different guy. You say, hey, if you can go, you go. But you don't do that with somebody who has this kind of value attached to it. I made some phone calls on this yesterday. And uh, one of the things I was told, which was kind of encouraging, was that, like, hey, if tonight were the national championship game, he'd probably try to go. So it's not something like he couldn't play no matter what. At least that's the way it was explained to me. It's just like he's in pain right now. And there is no sense. It doesn't make any sense for Missouri or for Michael to be on the court in this condition. But if it was a high stakes winner takes the trophy situation, first Monday night in April, he'd probably put the uniform on and at least try to give it a go. Given that it was a you know, November game, um, non-league game, uh, against an opponent that, um, you know, like th- this isn't going to be the difference between making the tournament, not making the tournament, not going to be the difference between anything. Um, you, you, you let him sit out and not only sit out, keep him, keep him at home. I think it's important to note what you said, which is he did play the first two minutes of the season because obviously there'd be a lot more speculation if that did not happen. A hundred percent because it's one thing to miss games. It's another thing not to be around your team, not to be on the bench, uh, you know, for the second game of the season, not to even travel for the third game of the season. Given all of the stories that we've been talking about in college basketball with, you know, with different schools and different players having compliance issues, um, the speculation would quickly go to, yo, this don't seem right. Um, is, is there a compliance issue with Michael Porter Jr.? An FBI um, investigation connection to Michael Porter Jr. that is leading to him not being available for these games. And I was just told flatly that it's got nothing to do with anything like that, Um, which I I take as the truth because this isn't the type of thing you lie about, I don't think, at the administrative level. Like, you're not going to pretend Michael Porter Jr. is hurt so that you don't have to acknowledge there's a compliance issue with him. Um, that's not the way any other school, I don't think, is is going to handle this or has handled it to date. And so I don't I don't believe that's what any attorney or administrator would suggest that you do. But but even if you want to be skeptical of of the trotted out um, story, just remember that he started the first game of the season. If there was a compliance issue, they never put him in. You know, they they just say he's injured from the you know from the preseason. If they were trying to cover it up. And they never put him in uniform, and they never, they never put him on that court. Like if there were a compliance issue right now, Missouri's got to forfeit that game. I mean, that could be the end game with it. So I don't believe this is tied to anything other than his health. And I also believe that the reason they're being undeniably vague about the nature of the injury is because I don't think they know exactly what's happening with the injury. Like, um, and you don't have to accept my insider information just focus on what Missouri has said initially it was a hip problem now they're calling it a leg those are two different things and so I think they're still trying to figure out exactly what's happening here um not unlike the way the Cavs have been intentionally vague about Isaiah Thomas's and that is a hip um I don't think they know exactly when he's going to be ready I don't think they know exactly when he's going to be 100 percent so I think the same thing is true with Missouri right now I don't believe they know exactly what's happening with Michael Porter Jr. or when he is going 
to be available. As for not sitting on the bench in the second game, not traveling with the team to Salt Lake City, I was told quite simply, it is painful for him to sit. Like, like right now, sitting for any extended period of time is, is a problem for him. So not only was he watching the, the, the second game of the season from Missouri's team lounge in the arena, he was lying down watching Missouri's game. Not, I, I'm told that standing up isn't totally um, a discomfort, and lying down isn't a discomfort, but sitting for some reason causes him pain. So sitting on that bench, um, it, it's just not, it's not, he's, he hurts when he was sitting, if he would have been sitting there in the second game of the season. And then, uh, you know, sitting on a plane for whatever it is, two hours, and then sitting on a team bus back and forth to the airport, back and forth to the arena, then flying back on a plane. It's just a lot of sitting time that they didn't think was worth doing for him, given that he clearly was not going to play. So it's one of those stories where you, you, you focus on the basics and you immediately go, ooh, this doesn't sound normal. It's like well, something's up here because it is abnormal. And I talked to somebody from Missouri and they, they acknowledged, yeah, it is abnormal for a player who is just hurt to, quote, not travel with the team. But the explanation I was given was like it's, it's, it's all rooted in a very real thing. He, it's, it hurts to sit down, so we don't think he should be sitting down. And so I think ultimately where we're going to get with this is that he is genuinely injured. To what degree is unclear, hopefully not so badly because – uh, it'd be more fun watching Missouri and college basketball in general if you got Michael Porter Jr. on the court, dunking on opponents, knocking down jumpers. Uncommon dynamic here is that not only is he the star player and we're waiting to see him make his debut, his father's on the staff, his brother's on the roster, and an active player has looked relatively solid for most of the, the three games that he's been on the floor. Um, but there was always going to be a, a, a protective element uh, regarding any kind of injury to Porter. But now when you when when Conzo's literally got his dad on the staff, then, yeah, you can understand why they would be taking these kind of precautions. Even if they're still uncertain about it, they got to figure out what's going on there. We'll note that um, not having Porter was a big difference for Missouri, which was non-competitive. I watched much of that game uh, on Thursday night at Utah, who I think – Utah, like, I don't think Utah's going to be the NCAA tournament. They'll probably be an NIT team. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe uh, Kraskoviak's going to do another great coaching job there. He's really, really good at that, and he'll get him in. But as it stands right now, I wouldn't project the Utes to be in the tournament. And for Missouri to show up the way that it did and not be able to keep it close for most of the game, not a great sign. The Tigers, according to Chris Dorch, give him credit for this stat, have lost 36 straight games on the road. That oh, is the longest oh. streak in all of college basketball. All 351 teams no team has lost more games in a row active than Missouri's 36. That's a bad, bad streak. That is a borderline gorilla stat category. Missouri. So they got to get they got to get them back. I mean, once they can, we can evaluate how good this team is overall, GP. Let's just let's keep that in mind because they're going to face opponents that I would suspect will be certainly much tougher than Utah. Shame on Kim Anderson for creating this streak. I mean, that's hard to do. 36 games, you're it's a high- you're yes. a, you're a high major team. You can't beat anybody on the hard, road. Hard to do that than to win 36 in a row on the road. Honestly, like how do you lose 36 straight in the row? Like, like it, you got to pick up one, one here and there hasn't happened. Wild. That is a uh, wild, as you put it, gorilla stat. Let me tell you about SeatGeek, which is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. That's what I have learned over the years, thanks to SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience that allows you to buy and sell tickets in just two taps. Um, it also it helps you find uh, the best seats at the best value. That's fully guaranteed. And it also saves you time because uh, what it's going to do is search multiple ticket sites for you, compare prices, find amazing deals. So once upon a time in a pre-seat geek world, I'd be sitting there like checking this site and that site and this site, trying to make sure I'm getting the best possible ticket for the best possible price. Don't have to do that anymore. SeatGeek will handle that for you. So what you need to do is go download the SeatGeek app. I've got it on my phone. Norlander's got it on his phone. It's what I use when I want to get tickets to a basketball game, to a concert, to anything. I use the SeatGeek app. And here's the good news for you. You're a listener of the Island College Basketball Podcast. All you got to do for your first purchase after you download that app, use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB. And you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So before you head to Cameron Indoor for a game or Allen Fieldhouse for a game or Dean Smith Center for a game, Rupp Arena for a game, 
you're going to buy tickets, make sure to buy them through the SeatGeek app. Then make sure to use that promo code COLLEGEBB. That'll get you $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. At SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. Norlander, Adrian Wojnarowski, our buddy from ESPN, reported late last night that Adam Silver, Michelle Roberts, uh, they met with the new commission on college basketball. And it was mostly just a discussion. Like, let's let's exchange information. Let's exchange ideas. Let's see if we can find some common ground. But Adam Silver has made it clear in various interviews over the months that um, he would prefer, like, something different than the quote-unquote one-and-done rule. Um, obviously, it is up to the to the NBA and to the Players Association, uh, as you and I have pointed out a million times, but for whatever reason, still doesn't, um, actually resonate with every single college basketball fan in the world. This is not an NCAA rule. The NCAA can't do anything about it. The NCAA can um, can work with the NBA. But honestly, under David Stern, uh, the NBA never seemed too interested in, in doing what may or may not be best for college basketball. They were strictly focused on the NBA, which is fine, but I think worth noting. Well, Adam Silver is... I think clearly, and, and this meeting yesterday is, is proof, taking a different approach. He is interested in, in, in college basketball, and if this is considered to be a problem in college basketball, he's at least willing to sit down, talk about it, and maybe try to bring about change. And so the, the alternative that Woj trotted out, clearly from talking to sources who were either in this meeting or aware of, of the conversations that took place in this meeting, is that the push seems to be toward letting high school players enter the league straight out of high school like they used to. Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Mari Stoudemire, so on and so forth. And so anybody can go that wants to go. But if you enter college, you are then, for lack of a better word, banned from the NBA draft for two years. So if you applied it to this high school class right now, if R.J. Barrett the consensus number one player in the class of 2018 wanted to enter the 2018 NBA draft after graduating high school this this year, this season rather, um, he would be allowed to do that. But if he decided to actually go to Duke instead, he would have to, I guess he wouldn't necessarily have to play two seasons at Duke, but he would not be allowed to enter the NBA draft until the 2020 NBA draft. So if he skipped 2018, I think this is right. He would then not be in 2019, and then he'd play his sophomore season and be in the 2020 NBA draft. And I should, again, clarify, wouldn't necessarily have to play two years at Duke, but he wouldn't be allowed in the draft until after two years removed from high school. So he'd probably, he and every prospect like him, would spend at least two years in college. Um, obviously, this is all um, you know, being discussed and fluid and could I guess reasonably go to the baseball model, which is three years removed from high school. If you decide to go to uh, to college, you can't be back in the draft. But uh, the version Woj tried it out was two years. So leave after high school, or spend two years in college. What do you make of 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 that possibility? The meeting isn't a surprise. When the commission was announced, this was one of the the three big um, bullet points on what was essentially. Uh, a mission statement, I guess, uh, the NCAA's relationship with the NBA. Uh, I'm reading directly from the NCAA's press release. The commission will explore the challenging effect of the NBA's so-called one-and-done rule has had on college basketball, including how the NCAA can change its own eligibility rules to address that dynamic. Um, this commission is on pace with the itinerary that Emmert put out. Uh, it's scheduled to meet a number of times uh, before we get to the end of the season. So good to see that that we've had progress on this front i'll get to the my thoughts on the uh on the actual informal discussions uh, regarding the the two years and the you know a twist on the baseball role what i want to remind people is that the commission is filled with uh people that are not and have not been directly impacted uh by this doesn't mean they can't have the right intelligence to make a really uh sound and, and well-rounded decision on it but let's remember that this commission has got Emmert. Condoleezza Rice is the chair. She is tremendous uh, and really probably one of the smartest people in America when you look at, uh, at her track record and what she's been able to do. 
John Thompson III is the only coach now. Um, uh, Mike Montgomery, former coach at Cal and Stanford, is also on this. But Thompson's the only one that has had real experience. And I would even say that he's barely had experience with this because even he did not have a lot of one-and-done players. But otherwise, you know, Grant Hill, David Robinson are the big names on it. You've got Gene Smith at Ohio State who deals with has dealt with this maybe only occasionally. And by the way, it's it's from a removed standpoint because you have a lot of athletic directors on here. Um, so the people in this room talking with Michelle Roberts and NBA representatives, I'm, they know what they discuss, but they haven't really truly lived it. So um, I have a little bit of hesitation over declaring this to be uh, – the definitive group of people that should be discussing making these rule changes when it comes to the betterment of the NBA and college basketball. They're probably going to vet as much out as they possibly could. Um, and it's still a, a swing and a miss by the commission not to evaluate the NCAA model, which is not part of, which is not part of this uh, overall mission of this group. Um, but just a reminder, uh, you know, people like former Florida athletic director Jeremy Foley's on it. Uh, people you've never heard of, uh, Reverend John Jenkins, who's the president of Notre Dame, is on this is on this committee. Um, as for the, you can declare or have to sit in two. Again, it's it's not, it's not any. In my mind, it's not any better. Okay, I get why. Yes, it would benefit college basketball in theory to have guys that you got to stay for two years. You have to allow for the possibility and the reality that there will be players that decide to go to college basketball at a high school, have an amazing freshman year, and then you're just simply pushing the process back one more year. Why shouldn't they have the right to go to the pros if they prove their value, prove their worth, and become a better player in their field, better at their craft, worth going into the NBA after one season? Don't hold them back. That's not any better, okay? If you want to make this better than the NBA on your end, if you want to, if, if the NBA and the NCAA want to get together, I love it. I love the fact that we're having as much collaboration between the two entities really as, as, as we've had in our lifetimes, GP. But if the NBA wants to say, okay, you can come right out of high school, we're going to take you to the G League, you're going to be able to make a solid salary, whatever they want to say that is, 75000 a year, I don't even know, okay? We're going to do that, we're going to cultivate the G League, we're going to build it up, awesome. If you want to continue with that and say, you can go to college for a year, you can leave, and we're going to take you in the G League anyway, come on in, that's fine. But to restrict a player who winds up being better than expected and grows into an actual basketball commodity and can profit off that to a to a significant upgrade from what he was a year before, don't take that away from him. It's still an unfair process. And by the way, to me, doesn't actually enhance college basketball versus what we have right now. What we have right now is unfair to the player, to the 17 and 18-year-olds who have the talent that really should have the decision uh, and the responsibility on their own to go to the NBA you lose that you lose that star power i get that and now what you're going to do is you're going to take away the top 8 10 14 17 prospects in a given season they're all gone they're never going to college basketball the sport's still going to be fine but you're going to lose that you're going to lose porter you're going to lose deandre ayton you're going to lose marvin bagley and now in addition to that you're going to have more restriction problems on the guys that end up going want to leave after a year and say, no, you know what? You can't do it. That's We're not going to let you do that. Do you agree or disagree, GP? I, dig, I, I, dig, I, I agree with I, most of that. Um, first off, I, like the committee's impressive list of names. I agree completely uh, with what you said about Condoleezza Rice. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with her or been around her at all. But like, I did walk by her at St. Elmo's when it was <laughs> – I was there with you. I was like, what? Because like – finally. It's my only non-contact with Condoleezza Rice. At the Final Four, you expect to bump into people, right? I mean, like, uh, hey, there's Mark Few. Hey, there's uh, Bill Self. Hey, there's uh, John Calipari and his staff. Um, the, the one time where I, like, did a double take was actually, like, because I think you and I was I, like, and you were like, yo, is that? I was like, yeah, that's Condoleezza Rice. Like, yeah, she just walked right, like, she was just walking right through the restaurant. Like, like they clearly had finished dinner right as we were walking in. And it's just, you don't expect to see Condoleezza Rice. Like, I wasn't prepared for that. Even knowing her connections to Stanford and all that, and her, her role in college athletics, I was like, oh, wow, Condi Rice just walked right past us. She probably just had a, one of those shrimp cocktails, right? So she's just a, an, an incredibly, super impressive uh, uh, person. I was going to say woman, but I don't even want to tie it to woman. She's just a super impressive person. And so to have people like her on that committee, commission, um, yeah, good thing. Uh, they should also have Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant, 
Um, guy, guys who went straight out of high school. LeBron James, if they're willing. I mean, you could find somebody, Amari Stoudemire. Um, but, and also, like, Darius Miles. Like, let's find, and I, I hate it when people act like Darius Miles is a bust. Dude made, like, $70 million in his career. They're like, they're like, I hear this all the time. But like, if you start letting the high school players go straight out of high school again, I mean, what are you going to do about Darius Miles? He made $70 million. Darius Miles is fine. Like, what are you talking about? Like, if, you're, if your story of, like, got to be careful, don't want to end up like Darius Miles. Like, if, you're, if your nightmare of a story is a dude that made $70 million, like, you don't have a very good. And I know there were actual busts um, uh, from the straight from high school to the NBA guys. But by and large, I mean, I, I did all the, the research on it a long time ago. Like, the, from the high school players who were drafted in the first round, like, they, they almost all became, like, really... They all, they all became reasonable, relevant NBA players, almost all of them. Most of them, and I really do think it was most, like, above 50%, like, became all-stars. Like, this, the hit rate on high school players was phenomenal. So, I, I did a, I did a pro, because of where I live, I did a project one time where if the straight-to-high school era, in that era, like, from Kevin Garnett to... I guess the year before Odin and Durant, whoever was in that class in those years, if the, yeah. Yeah, if the Memphis Grizzlies would have simply, every time they had a draft pick, walked, uh, handed in a card to David Stern that said, we select best high school prospect available. That's it. Just whoever's, ne- whoever's the next high school prospect on the list who's available, we'll take him. They would have had like the best roster in the NBA. It would not have been close, right? Um, so... Uh, my point is I would get some guys who would live through that on the, on this commission, or at least in these conversations, like a hey, Kevin Garnett, what was the best thing about, you know, going straight from high school? What were the problems that you uh, experienced? What advice would you give to somebody who was in a similar situation? I'd want to talk to the guys who it worked brilliantly for like Kobe, like Kevin, but also maybe some guys that struggle with some things, um, whoever they might be. Um, I would also want to have some guys who have been, quote, one-and-done players in the room. I want to talk to Jalil Okafor about what that was like. Somebody who, Somebody. who knew from the jump he was never going to spend more than one year in college. Did, did that prevent him from ex- enjoying his one year in college? Did, did it, and I don't mean just on the basketball court, but like in the classroom. Was he engaged or... Was he completely detached? I want Ben Simmons in that room because he's been publicly critical of, of, of the one-and-done rule. Says that he gained nothing from being at LSU. Now, I think some of that is, is Ben Simmons' fault. Like, I don't feel like he – I remember talking to ja, uh, Jalu Okafor before his freshman season got started. And, like, he and Tyus Jones were living in normal dorms, like going to women's soccer games. Like, you know, they were around other students, normal students. Like, I, I think both of them knew they weren't going to be four-year players. Jaleel Okafor more so than Tyus Jones. But they still, like, became a part of that campus and tried to be, like, college freshmen and you know, go to parties and do the things that you're supposed to do. Ben Simmons, by all accounts, did none of that. He just isolated himself from the student body almost completely. So I think some of Simmons' complaints are like, yo, man, well, you didn't you, – you, you not only didn't want to be there and didn't think you needed to be there, but – and by the way, didn't have to be there. You're like, nobody made you go. But, like, you didn't even try to have a good time. It didn't appear from the documentary uh, that was on Showtime at least. So I want to have him in the room. Uh, and then I want to have guys who maybe thought they were going to be two- or three-year players but ended up being one-and-dones. Guys like Zach Collins. Guys like D'Angelo Russell. Like, I want them in the room because what you're talking about, like, would apply to a Zach Collins, to a D'Angelo Russell. They would not turn pro straight out of high school. They, they weren't thought of that way. D'Angelo would go to Ohio State under this new possible format, and Zach would go to Gonzaga. And then they would have amazing freshman seasons where D'Angelo can be a, a top five pick and Zach can be a lottery pick. And yet, oh, but you got to come back and do one more year. Like, I'm with you. I don't, I don't like that. And so if you left me in charge of it, what I would do is say, yes, the high school players can go. And it's a lot more reasonable for them to go now than it was even back in the early 90s because the G League is like a real thing. With you know, Most NBA franchises are attached to their own G League franchises right now. They own them. 
like the Grizzlies own the Memphis Hustle. Uh, they play a G League franchise 25 minutes away from FedEx Forum. So players are constantly going back and forth. Like Kobe Simmons will be in a Grizzlies uniform one night and then be in a Hustle uniform the next night. Uh, but he trains with, with the NBA team. A lot of the G League guys do, uh, at least in Memphis, because it's such the close proximity between uh, where the Hustle play and where the Grizzlies play. Uh, those, these two-way contracts mean you're not going to go there and make $18,000. So an NBA franchise could select somebody with the 23rd pick who's straight out of high school while knowing this person is not ready to be in the NBA, not ready to be on our roster, but we will make him a two-way player, pay him well, uh, or, 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 or just um, you can take real contract people like, lot, like lottery picks and put them in a G League, and that's a perfectly reasonable place for them to develop now. The NBA um, has developmental system has never been closer to minor league baseball than it is right now still not the same but closer than it's ever been so my i think suggestion would be let the high school players go if they want to go because i've always thought they should be able to go and also let the freshmen go let the sophomore let anybody who wants to enter the nba draft post high school enter the nba draft post high school no restrictions whatsoever if you want to make yourself available then you are allowed to make yourself available. And if a franchise wants to select you or take you as an undrafted free agent and put you on a two-way contract or put you uh, on a G League uh, contract, then that's fine too. And yes, some people will make mistakes. Some people will make bad decisions. But guess what? And I've said this a million times. People in all walks of life make bad decisions every day. You know, we're all so worried about the 6'8 basketball player who is ranked 33rd in his high school class and maybe doesn't need to enter the NBA draft straight out of high school, but he decides that's what he wants to do, and so he does it, and then he goes undrafted, and oh my God, what are we going to do about him? I don't know. Like, I, I also don't really care. Like, you know, like I'll let his parents figure that out. You know, I'll, I'll be responsible for my kids. I'll let his parents be responsible for him. Um, they'll try to guide him in whatever way they can, same way I try to guide my children in whatever way I can. You know, they're, they're, they're um, high school students who skip college all the time because they want to go be a movie star, because they want to want to uh, be in a band, because they want to be a rapper, because they want to be an entrepreneur, because they just don't want to go to college, because they rather bartend. What, like, whatever. We don't worry about them. People drop out of college all the time for reasons that are questionable. We don't worry about them. Like, I got neighbors who have kids who... Dropped out of college for a semester because, you know, they just wanted a break and wanted to try something new. Maybe not what I would advise them to do, but also really none of my business. So I've always said if you want to save kids, because that's what people like to say, oh, but you got to save these kids. You want to save kids, go work with Big Brothers Big Sisters. You know, like that, that's a good place to start. Don't worry about the basketball players or don't worry only about the basketball players because I don't think you're actually worried about the basketball players. I think you're actually worried about your favorite college basketball team. And... I guess from the perspective of college basketball, I would say this. Not ideal. I don't care what anybody says about the one-and-done rule, which I fundamentally disagree with. But, but it undeniably helps the sport. No right. question. Mar having Marvin Bagley's fun. <laughs> having, yep. having Jason Tatum is fun. You know, having Derrick Rose and Kevin Durant and Greg Owen and Mike Conley, like, that's fun. Michael Beasley, like, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, like, so having yep. those guys in college is good for college basketball, even if it ain't great for – institutions of higher learning but that's a conversation for another day um so i don't think it's great for college basketball i also don't think it would kill college basketball and here's why um the play, the stories develop from somewhere every season no matter what you know you can go back and look at the television ratings attendance numbers anything from that era when kevin garnett started the the straight to the nba jump again restarted it i should say and all the way up until when the one-and-done rule was implemented and it essentially forced Kevin Durant and Greg Oden into college when they otherwise wouldn't have been. You go back and look at those years, I think it was like nine years or 11 years, whatever it was, I think 11, and the, the television ratings were still right where they were. Uh, attendance numbers were still right where they've always been. Um, yeah, you don't get Kevin Durant as a national player of the year, in the, or, or I should say you don't get Kobe Bryant as a national player of the year. You don't get... Amari Stoudemire as a National Player of the Year. You don't get Jermaine O'Neal as a first-team All-American. But, you know, you still get the J.J. Reddick story. You know, you still get the Adam Morrison story. 
Like, the story still develops somewhere every time, no matter what. Like, college basketball will be fine. And honestly, the, the programs that it's going to hurt the most, and this is why I've kind of been surprised that John Calipari and Mike Krzyzewski have been for this, because I think they're the ones that get hurt. Because they're the ones that get these players right now. Like, that, like John's best teams won't have those players. And Mike's best team. Like, Mike wouldn't have Marvin Bagley right now. Mike wouldn't have... Wendell Carter right now. Um, you know, Mike wouldn't have, a, like, I would say maybe most of his starting lineup right now. And, and same thing with John. And so I talked to Tom Izzo about this back in the summer, and it was a really interesting conversation. Um, you know, it was when one transfer, all these things were in the, like, in the normal offseason conversation, and Tom just one day, he was like, I just got to talk. I got to bounce some of these things off of you because, like, I'm going crazy. <laughs> like, he was just all frustrated with the, the state of college basketball. And um, he and I didn't agree on everything. But one of the things I like talking about Tom is, like, he'll at least listen to you. And at the end of it, he'll say, you know what? I, I still think you're kind of crazy, but, like, I hear you. You know, maybe I, maybe I got a blind spot for it. He, like, genuinely listens where sometimes guys just don't. They got, they got their feet dug in and, and they're not going to hear what you say. And I, on it, like in fairness, I'm I'm more like that guy. I'm more like dig my feet in and like I I reject any alternative to what it is I'm trotting out. So um, I, I'm not trying to hold myself above anybody else. But one of the points Tom made, and I thought this was really smart. He said, like, yeah, Duke ain't going to get those guys anymore. Kentucky won't get those guys anymore because they'll be in the NBA or the G League or wherever. They won't be in college basketball. And he said, and I'd be interested to hear what you think about this. Um. There is not a big difference between a kid ranked 20th and a kid ranked 40th or a kid ranked 25th and a kid ranked 55th. But there is a massive difference between a kid ranked 5th and 15th or 10th and and 25th. And he said, so the talent gap that Duke and Kentucky year in and year out have over just about everybody else will shrink completely. Like I'll still... And it should be noted, like Tom's been getting high-level guys in these past couple years. But he said, I'll still get, like now Kentucky will get the 15th best player in the country instead of the second best player in the country. And Duke will get the 13th best player in the country instead of the number one player in the country. But I'll still get the 20th. And Florida still get the 26th. And, uh, you know, Gonzaga still get the 43rd. And, so, and, and the difference between the kid I get and the kid they get at Kentucky and Duke is going to be much smaller. And so we close that talent gap a little bit. And that's why, you know, Tom, Tom didn't, I don't ever remember him saying whether he was for or against it. But if it does go back to high school players can go straight to the NBA draft, like he thought it would benefit programs that are top shelf programs, but don't necessarily get the top 10 guys consistently the way Kentucky and Duke do. And I think he was exactly right. There's something to that. Let's also uh, give you know, full credit to the way that Krzyzewski and Calipari can coach. And even if they aren't getting those top flight guys, they're still really good coaches. So um, don't necessarily think that, uh, you know, it's not going to be this massive drop down. I mean, there's still going to be really good teams with really, really good coaches, Hall of Fame level coaches. And I think if you really got Cal and Krzyzewski, to be honest, um, this would be a relief because there's just so much less they would have to worry about when it comes to recruiting, to dealing with these guys. Now, plenty of them are fine. They don't have parents that are issues. The kids are fine. They're egoless. Others aren't. You just, when you know that, you know, all right, my top three guys, I'm going to get the 13th ranked guy. I'm going to get the 22nd ranked guy and I'm going to get the 24th ranked guy. It's just going to be less of a headache than getting guys number one, three, and six in a class who already have one. one <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. I'll take I, the one, three, but, six in the class. What, what? What were you saying? I said, I don't know. I'll take the one, three, six of the class. Like, they seem to be doing okay. I know that. No, they're doing great with it. But there probably will be just a little bit less stress and uh, personnel management overall. It'll still oh, be. Sure. You talk to, listen, you talk to mid-major coaches and they're going to tell you, dude, you this guy who's earning 23 minutes a game on my roster thinks that he should be starting at Duke. Like, that doesn't eliminate itself whatsoever. But I do think... Um, they would see very much pros in this decision, even though the cons would be coming with it as well. Izzo does make a very good point in that there are programs already built basically recruit 
uh, recruits 20 through number 60, essentially get one, two, three of those guys every year. You build it up, your team gets old, it stays old for the most part, and you're able to thrive and have success there. So it doesn't impact them quite as much. It's a good point by him. Uh, I know we've run long on this conversation. There's still plenty of miles to go before we get there. I personally would like to see the players just have the rights to go when they want to go. And if the NBA, which it has the right to do, and I would not push back on this whatsoever, if the NBA says, listen, you can do that, but we're going to put you in the G League when you're coming out of high school, and if you're leaving after your freshman year, we're going to put you in the G League again. It can decide whatever it wants after that. Personally, I think, like, you know, if you wanted to say, like, you got to play at least 15 games in the G League, we want to make sure we're putting big names in there to help build this thing up. And then if you're just so freaking awesome, now, no matter what, then, yeah, you know what, mid-December comes, we'll call you up. That's really up for the NBA to decide those details overall. Can't be restricting players. It's fundamentally no different than what we have now. If you're saying, nope, it's go out of high school or wait two years, that's unfair. There are players every single freaking year who get good as freshmen that aren't anticipated initially to be NBA draft picks, but then they turn into them. You shouldn't be forcing them to stay a second year when they shouldn't have to. I want to make sure I'm clear about the Duke-Kentucky thing. They would still have the best players in the country. Um, they just those Their best players wouldn't be so much better than everybody else's best players. Saying, yeah, yeah. It's just kind of tossing a little bit of and, a... Uh, and, and you're exactly right about it would be less stressful for Kay and, and John because, I mean, that like their jobs, I guess they've always been 12-month-a-year jobs, but they're like, you got to work them every day now because you're remaking your roster every single year. Like, Greg Marshall goes into this offseason. Like, he can go to wine country for a couple weeks if he wants to. Like, he goes into this past offseason like, I got my whole team back. Uh, we're, we were top 10 at Kempom last year. We're going to be preseason top 10 this year. Like, I don't have – he didn't have to just go out there and remake his whole roster. Whereas K had to, John had to, and they have to do it every single year because they're getting the best players in the country every single year, and those players are, by and large, leaving after one season. So it would make their jobs easier from the roster perspective. Like, okay, uh, I got eight guys coming back. This is kind of cool. I can maybe, you know, take a, a, a three-day vacation with my family. Um, but where they would get hurt. So that's the, that's the positive. The negative is that the rosters would not be as good that, or at least would not be as talented as they otherwise would be because a lot of the players that they would be getting, they'd go straight to the NBA draft. So there's some good and some bad there. Um, but it's an interesting conversation. I'm sure we'll have it again about 50,000 times before we get out of here. Uh, Kansas is back in action on a uh, Friday night. They're hosting uh, South Dakota state. That's the, the homie Mike Dom and his fellow Jack rabbits and, uh, so Kansas is a, a big favorite, but Dom, you know, I, I'd be interested in seeing him inside Allen Fieldhouse because he's, I think, qualifies as one of those guys who could go put up a big number in that historic building, um, even if his team, you know, takes a 15, 20, 25-point uh, loss. But the story will be that Kansas is expected to be without Billy Preston for the, the second straight game. They announced just before the Champions Classic got started that he was being held out because he had had a car accident and it was a single car accident, but there was some damage under the car. And um, they needed to, I think the quote was, get a clearer financial picture of, of this vehicle. And so what it looks like is he was driving a car that he should not have been driving. And which would not have been a problem as long as he didn't get into an accident or get pulled over for a speeding ticket. And suddenly the um, there's a record of him being in this car. Um but but he had the accident, so now there's a there's a record of him being in this car, and now they got to figure out if they don't already know. Okay, what are you doing with this car? Why do you have this car? So on and so forth. Um, and until they figure that out and self-report, I would assume to the NCAA, and then if there is a punishment, levy that punishment. You know, he's not going to play in games. I wouldn't expect him to play in, uh, tonight, and it's just. Uh, I think more than anything, a reminder, if it is what it appears to be, just the problem with amateurism to begin with. Like, th this, Billy Preston is worth something. He's a consensus five-star prospect, uh, top 20 kid coming out of high school, McDonald's All-American. He's going to be a multimillionaire this time next year if he wants to be. Uh, agents understand that. Financial advisors understand that. The same people who are caught up in this FBI sting understand that. And so there's always going to be somebody out there trying to develop an edge when it comes to using him in whatever way you want to use him once he becomes a professional. 
And the way to develop that edge is to develop it early. And so uh, now here we are. And I should be clear, this could also be just be a car from uh, a Kansas booster. It could be a, it could come from any it could, it could come from any angle. But my point is, there's a million angles from which it could come reasonably, and that's because we take people who are worth millions of dollars and tell them they can't actually be worth anything until they get out of college, and it's a flawed system, and I hate it, and here we are again. I wonder how long this is going to take to resolve. Uh, Self was questioned uh, by, obviously, Kansas Media on Thursday. He said, listen, this is... They don't even let me get involved in this, which may or may not be true. But uh, the people that need to be uh, looking over this still are. We are now going on six days. This happened last Saturday. Apparently, it was a tire issue. Very interested to know the real story of, of like what happened. Like, did he just like pop a tire? Did he just you know accidentally hit a curb and, and do some damage to a hubcap? And then tow company comes. Like, who finds out about this car? And then has, uh, no, 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 we got to look into this. What are you doing with this car? Second question, GP. What kind of, there might be people locally that know. I don't know. What kind of car do we think this is? I, I know I, I know what kind of car I, I hope it is. I want it to be a Rolls Royce. Yeah, there's no shot. There's <laughs> no shot. This isn't Dickerson in 84 at SMU driving around like the most ridiculous car possible. I uh, let's 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 just take a let's just take a guess here. I'm going to say it's like a 2017 Lexus. Like that's that's my guess on the car. I want your official guess because I assume we're going to find out what the car is eventually. So I want your on the record guess year, year, year and make. I think Lexus is probably too like any luxury car like draws incredible attention it's like a 2015 nissan i don't think we're in this issue right maybe i'm wrong but maybe maybe i'm right no but like i, I get you like you can get a mercedes that costs the same as a you know chevrolet so a certain type of chevrolet but like when people see you in a mercedes they go oh, wow that person's got a mercedes like they must they must be like it draws attention that a similarly priced car would not draw so I, I'd actually, I would say probably not a Mercedes or a Lexus or something like that. Because honestly, if I were one of his basketball coaches, he'd drive around a Mercedes. I'd be like, yo, man, you guys, you can't. <laughs> dude, dude, the FBI is like going to be subpoenaing us any day. <laughs> Get out of your Mercedes, please. So I bet it's not that, but I bet it is an expensive car that doesn't necessarily um, draw the attention of everybody. But Maybe like an, an Infinity Maybe something like that. I think that draws attention, right? I think Mercedes, BMW, Lexus, Infinity. Give me, give me a type, then. Come on. I, I, I want to say like some, some Chevrolet or like Ford type of car that a 19-year-old basketball pl- player might be into. That has also got like the best package available to it. Okay. Something. Right. I would say something like that, at, where you could sort of drive it and. People just don't obviously attach expensive car to it. Like, like if uh, there are people right now driving around in a, a Mercedes that ain't worth more than twenty thousand dollars, but it's still a Mercedes. So you go, ooh, wow, that's Mercedes. That that person's popping. But like, uh, th- then you'll see somebody in a in a Silverado Chevrolet truck that's worth seventy thousand dollars, and you don't necessarily think anything of it. And so, um, I bet he's in something like a car that doesn't necessarily draw eyeballs, but it's still worth a significant amount of money and more to the point it's just a car that doesn't belong to him and you're not you're not supposed to be driving a car that doesn't belong to you um this has happened in basket like when i was the beat writer uh at the commercial newspaper in memphis antonio burks got suspended for a few games he was the you know conference usa player of the year played in the nba i mean awesome college point guard he got suspended for some games because he got caught driving a rental car basically he had a Either he had a buddy or there was a Memphis booster who ran like a Avis and they just gave him a car and said, here, you can take it. So he's just driving around in a rental car like like for months. I, it might not have been months. It might not have been weeks. It could have been just days. But he was just popping around town and it was like they just gave him the rental car and said, hey, yeah, you can. You don't have to bring this back until you're ready to bring it back. Enjoy. At Ole Miss, they got into this with the football program. Football players got caught driving loaner cars that they weren't supposed to have. So what they would do, the way they thought they were getting around it in the NCAA is like saying, no, 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 that's not okay. But they would take their 
actual vehicle in for, quote, service at like a car dealership. Like, hey, I need to get an oil change or it could be a, anything fixed. And they would just and then they'd say, OK, well, we'll call you when we when we get it ready. Um, in the meantime, you can take this loaner car, which is a much nicer vehicle. And then it would just be like, yeah, we're still working on it. Amazing. <laughs> for like weeks at a time. Ah, you know, we still try to try trying to get that oil change done. Just uh, we'll call you when we get it done. So what you do, you put in football players in, in, in awesome cars that they do not um, that don't belong to them. And your ex- explanation, if you happen to need it, is, oh, no, we didn't give him that car. They brought their car in for service and we allowed them to take a loaner car the same way we do literally any customer who comes in here. You know, my wife has to take her vehicle to a dealership sometimes and she'll come home in like a Jaguar. You know, like they, they just give her a car for however long it takes, like a week or whatever. So it is a very normal thing. But the only thing that made it different for these football players at Ole Miss was that they keep these cars for like weeks to get an oil change or whatever. Like we work that should take a couple of days or even a couple of weeks would take a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And so this kind of stuff goes on and we don't know the specifics of Preston's situation, but uh, yeah, yeah, it seems like he did something in a car that drew attention to it, created a paper trail. And, uh, and so now here we are, but it's just a, an, another thing within college basketball that, like I said, draws attention to the reality that amateurism is a, is a, is a flawed, um, flawed approach because, you know, these, these, you can't, it, it, you're always begging for problems when you try to make people who are worth millions of dollars worth nothing while they're on a college campus. This is the type of stuff that has been going on forever, and I don't even think this FBI investigation will stop it from going on. And frankly, here's the proof. He was driving around in a car that he shouldn't have been driving around in, quite clearly, um, even months after the FBI investigation went public. Still, it didn't change that that very basic thing, and that's because that very basic thing is never going to change. Yep. All right, bud. Have All a right. great week. Hey, you have a great weekend too. And shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. And remember, please go subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast via iTunes. It's a uh, it, it's the best way to get the episodes as quickly as possible. It also makes a difference um, with our bosses, frankly. So uh, if you enjoy what we're doing, uh, you don't have to r- send us a thank you cards, but we would really appreciate if you, you'd subscribe uh, at iTunes and, and rate it favorably and write nice things, at the very least, ab- about me. If you want to add Norlander, I, it doesn't uh, offend me, but it's also unnecessary. We're mostly focused on me. So please do that, and we will be back uh, Sunday night with another episode of the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Till then, take care.